This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets, the first episode of the decade. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hello. So this week we're going to be talking about the big tech trends that you don't want to miss out on, how our spending habits have changed over the past decade, how retailers fared over Christmas or the first signs of that, and I'm going to be checking in on whether we all achieved our financial New Year's resolutions from last year. Um, So joining us is Steve Fraser from Shares. Hello. First up, let's look at markets this week. So there have been lots of retailers reporting, haven't there? Which Does that give a first indicator as to how Christmas was? There is. But I think it's it's probably worth taking a sort of a, a, first of all, a broader look at what's happened with the markets over Christmas. You normally get the odd company sort of sneak out profit warning or something or, or stick out bad news with the hope that we're all sort of focused on our turkey and not what's going on with share prices. So um, we didn't actually have that many this year. The only one that sort of caught my eye was um, Nichols, which makes Vimto drink. They got hit by a Middle East soft drinks tax. Um, and there was also Finabler, which owns Travelex. So the currency provider has been hacked. Um, so far, it said there's no sort of major financial impact to its earnings. Um, but I know there's been lots of very annoyed customers who have not been able to get there money so it might have a longer term impact in terms of customer numbers or yeah trust. yeah and then the and then brand value i presume is going to be under under threat isn't it, it right? is exactly i mean travelex is such a big brand um in that market yeah you would definitely think the, the more this goes on because it's still not resolved at the time that we're talking um the more it goes on yeah the reputation definitely has got to be under under the spotlight um and so some of the other things just i've noted over sort of the christmas period is is that um fund manager neil woodford and his business partner took 13.8 million pound in dividends last year and that, and that was up um just before their fund imploded the equity income fund and we've got hundreds of thousands of investors in that who still haven't been able to access their money so there's a bit of a sort of anger so it's kind of reignited the debate around whether he should have refunded the management fees that has been taken although obviously these dividends that he's been paid are from before that kind of drama hit the fund aren't they yeah um and also Terry Smith, who runs Fundsmith. So Fundsmith is one of the most popular investment funds in the UK at the moment. He collected £16.2 million. Uh, it's kind of a share of profits from running the asset management Fundsmith business as well. So um, again, it, it's, it's another example of you know, these big fund managers are getting very rich. We're uh, in the wrong job, Dan. Yeah, it's still time. We'll still we'll learn. Let's learn enough to be fund managers. So, <laughs> um, so one thing, what perhaps is not on people's radars, but um, I've noticed how tobacco stocks are really on the move. Um, British American tobacco is up by nearly 30% since October. Imperial Brands is up 17% since the middle of December. So whilst um, there, there's some implications that these are value stocks and values coming back in fashion. What's actually happened was that um, that Donald Trump said in September that the US would ban all e-cigarette flavours, except for ones that tasted like tobacco. But what's since happened is that the administration sort of relaxed their sort of uh, rules a bit because the the tobacco industry has sort of been lobbying for um, less onerous changes. 
Uh, and that's sort of given a bit of a bump to tobacco stocks. So I think lots of people have been focusing on other issues that are going on, but that sector sort of is on a run as we speak. Um, so that sort of kind of brings us to the, the, the point where started the new year and the markets were rallying for about a day or two and then Middle East tensions have just completely put everything into reverse. World War Three started trending on Twitter on like the fourth day of the year. Yes, not cheery. Not perhaps what you wanted to, <laughs> to want. I, I was expecting things about joining the gym and um, you know, being a vegan and stuff. But no, World War Three was a bit alarming, wasn't it? <laughs> no point it? joining the gym if there's going to be World War Three, <laughs> is there? <laughs> and so we've had you know, oil prices gone up, gold's gone up, and stocks are kind of done gone down or, or done nothing. I mean, this is kind of not, not what we wanted, um, but let's see where that goes. I don't know whether, no one knows, do they, about where how this will escalate. And so supermarkets is the other thing. So retailers have kind of started to issue some stuff. Next has come out saying it had a fairly decent Christmas, but really all so far as, as we're recording this, we've only really had the supermarkets come out and Christmas wasn't very great for them. To is honest. it too early to tell? Now or do they or do they already have all of the numbers and they're able to publish them? No, well, well the, the retailers will be adding up the numbers for Christmas. Um, what happens is that they tend to schedule their updates for the next two or three weeks after into January. Um, next has always been brilliant at adding things up really quickly, uh, and hence it was able to get stuff out. Um, sort of the companies that are um, having problems have to issue trading statements as soon as they know that there's been problems um, but generally you're, you're going to see over the coming days there's going to be all the main ones are reporting but the supermarkets have come out well have said um yeah it's been really difficult i mean morrison's is, um it, it gave some figures and it started talking about 22 weeks worth of trading and everyone's going well hang on a minute just tell us about Christmas. We don't want to know about 22 weeks of trading. Because a year ago, it was being very explicit about what it's doing. And this year, it's kind of having to guess. Um, and that sort of led to lots of people getting angry on social media, uh, as you do. And some of the analysts are sort of trying to work it out. They think that Morrison sales were down um, by about 2.5% over the Christmas period. So that's quite significant. Yeah, so a year ago, they were up 0.3.6. So it, it oh, okay. sort of shows they've not had a great time. So Morrison's is blamed aiming sort of big promotions on beer, wine, sort of spirits. These sort of lost leaders to, to get people through the doors. Um, but really, I mean, the market was already expecting not a very good uh, result for Morrison's anyway. So that's why the shares went up on the news, even though they weren't very good. And as we speak, we just had Sainsbury's figures out and they weren't great either. Grocery sales sort of eked up a little bit. Um, clothes have been good, but actually Argos has not been very good. Um, if you followed... The Sainsbury story, Argos has been sort of the saviour of that business for quite a while, but not so much now. So, Laura, why have you not been buying all your Christmas presents in Argos this year? I should do. I do find it quite handy that they're in Sainsbury's now. I think that's quite quite useful. But actually, that said, probably haven't bought anything for Argos for years. Yeah. So what, I mean, what did everyone um, who's on the podcast today, how, how was your Christmas in terms of food shopping? Did you all go out and buy loads of stuff from... Um, Marks expenses and stuff, or is it? Is it? You know, what was your experience when you were getting ready for your festive activities, Steve? Well, I, I had Christmas out in a restaurant actually. So oh, well, I, I, I spent some money but on, on the service economy, not on the, uh, the product economy. Yeah, much less hassle than making it yourself. Very simple. Great plan. Um, I went to my in-laws, so I didn't have to do the whole Christmas shop this oh. year. I got some bits from Aldi and some bits from Sainsbury's as like pre-Christmas stuff. Aldi says they sold nearly two and a half thousand tons of sprouts. 
much. They weren't all mine. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting point about Audi, actually, is because you mentioned about the, um, the change in the trading period that Morrison's did, but Audi did exactly the same thing. I think this, this year they, they announced a five-week period pre-Christmas, and last year it was a one-week period. Now, because they're privately owned, it's always a bit less transparent about exactly how they're doing. But a lot of people presume that if Sainsbury and Morrison's are not done brilliant, Audi and Lidl have probably picked up loads of slack. And one wonders if that's actually true. Are Audi and Lidl doing quite as well as they have been doing over the last four, five, six years? They've had pretty amazing growth numbers, though, haven't they? And there's probably going to be a point where they can't keep grabbing so much market share. Yeah, I mean, anecdotal evidence, you know, I've been my local... Aldi's busy as ever, um, but you know, Mars Spencer's food stuff is the same as well. I don't, it's, really, it's impossible to tell from one store, but it's, it, I did I did see some quite interesting trends about how we consumed certain things over Christmas. So, Christmas pudding sales were down by sixteen percent. Um, seasonal biscuits down by eleven percent. Yeah. What's a seasonal biscuit? Well, I guess it's... Pine flavour. Foxes, isn't it? I thought that was just Fox's biscuit. It's just a, a biscuit that's got chocolate on it and... In the, the shape of a Christmas tree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or the box has got some snow on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but custard sales were up 28%. It's quite good, isn't it? So did, did anyone have custard? I didn't have any custard over Christmas. Yeah, my in-laws have custard with their Christmas pudding. Really? Yeah, I Is know. that a thing? I Apparently. Thought- I had custard on my, my crumble. I didn't have a Christmas pudding. I had an apple and apricot crumble for my dessert. You've done like included a custard, though, very so. non-traditional Christmas. I, it's been a bit left field. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I went out on New Year's Eve to go to <clears throat> cinema and I thought I'd get something to eat just beforehand. And there's just nothing open at all. The only place that was open was Greg's. Um, and we've just had Greg's issue their update saying, yes, we've had a very good time. And um, actually, they're giving £7 million to their staff, which is as a thank you for such a... Oh, an, like a Christmas bonus. Yeah, so as an amazing year, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, and they're talking about vegan donuts now, as well as vegan steak bakes. So they did so well with the vegan sausage roll that I feel like every six months they're just going to roll out a new vegan product and hope that they make so much profit from it. I wonder how this plays into the kind of the health kick, though. I mean, you know, sausage rolls, vegan or not, are not necessarily great healthy yeah. food. Donuts are not necessarily great healthy food. So I wonder if there'll be a bit of a pushback with some of this, this vegan... Uh, trend in terms of you know, what's healthy eating. Mm. Well, we're a week into January though, so we've all ditched our resolutions and we're back on the donuts, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the technology sector uh, was one of the best performers last year, um, but a good investor will always be one step ahead to spot the latest trends. So Steve, I know that you've been talking to some tech fund managers about what's exciting them. What have you learned? Um, that this is a long-term game plan, certainly. But as one, one fund manager said to me, um, fundamentally, the tech sector is, is increasingly going to eat the profits of, of almost every other sector. And there were some really interesting stats I was given and, and charts I've looked at. And it shows over the last eight to ten years or so, if you look at operating profit um, progression outside the tech space, there's been virtually no progression in operating profit. It's all come from additional from, from the technology space. Um, so this tells you about how um, inter- interlinked the technology area is to everyday life. Um, so even just non-traditional technology businesses are in, in, you know, they're engaging with technology. Um, they're going online. They're becoming digital. They're they're getting processes done by AI and automation and so on. Um, so that all feeds into profits for the technology sector. Um, some some long-term growth 
themes include things like um, increased cloud computing. One manager said to me about 20% of um, computing processing is going on in the cloud at the moment, and he reckons it's going to 80 or 90%. So that tells you about how how big the growth opportunity still is. And cloud seems to have been around for, for, for years. And indeed, it has been around for about 30 years. But um, there's still masses of growth in, in, in that kind of trend. And things like clever microprocessors, um, as we become this kind of super-collected society and there's sensors getting buried into everything, including like, the road to, to, to kind of um, predict when potholes might emerge and, 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 and put remedial work in before they actually emerge. Um, increasingly, that's all got to be connected to, to cloud and, and they all require processors to, 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 to work. So um, there's some really exciting trends, long-term trends. So when investors are thinking of technology stuff, they're probably thinking more about the, the technology that they use day to day, so their kind of Apple Watch or their smartphone or whatever. But actually what you're saying is it's more the bigger part of the tech sector is going to be the infrastructure and the kind of processing behind all of that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously the, the consumer side of technology is very uh, visual and it's, it's, it's in, the, in the national sort of consciousness and in the press all the time. But, I mean, it's behind the scenes, it's in the infrastructure, as you say, is where there, there are um, masses more scope to to embed technology. I mean, just take a car, for example, um, and forget the electrification of cars from petrol to, to electrics. I mean, just the amount of electronics that go into a modern car is significantly more than there's ever been before. So, uh, you know, you can get things like high beam lights that will detect when there's a car on the other side of the road and will change the lighting dynamic so it doesn't blind the other driver so you're not having to constantly switch That's on your so high smart. beams, switch off your high beams, that kind of stuff. And of course, that all needs computational power in the car so little things like that just you know really bode well for, for a long-term growth dynamic yeah so i know when i talk to like private investors they quite often ask about tech and they say you know what what's the latest disruptive technology what's the new gadgets and stuff but actually are fund managers who invest in this space really just looking for companies that are growing profitably um they want scale, don't they? They want to back companies that are growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, not necessarily creating this new yeah. technology, but just using it wisely. Well, it's, I mean, it's easy to get to drawn into this kind of idea of, of chasing the, the latest names and you could chase like an Uber or, or something like that. And, and so far, many of these IPO unicorns, um, so the companies that have gone from private ownership and onto the stock market, have delivered bugger all in terms of share, shareholder value. Um, and it's not about chasing these hot names. It's about chasing companies that can dominate a market, create a virtual monopoly, and then have years and years of great cash flows, which can ultimately um, feed through into dividends to, to investors. <clears throat> so we were just talking about TravelX having a cyber attack. As well as sort of the, the infrastructure, I presume IT security is still a hot topic. Yeah, I mean, as um, again, one manager was saying, the cloud is fundamentally a very unsafe space. Um, so cybersecurity is, is just this constant ticking over um, market. Um, I mean, TravelX are you know not the first to suffer a, a big cyber attack, and ransomware has been around for a long, long time now. Um, so yeah, you invest in companies. Uh, Okta was one that was mentioned. It's a US-based company, but they do some very, very clever stuff in terms of like behavioural. Um, uh, analytics. So they'll look at how uh, an employee, um, what kind of parts of their software platform they're, they're going to on a regular basis. Then if they visit a different part of the platform, it, it would just lock them out and wait for an administrator to come and say, that this is okay. So it's, it's going way beyond just, you know, password control, which is still important. But I mean, it's, it's becoming much more interlinked into your behaviour. So just, I, I sort of found managers looking for companies where um, they're providing 
services which all companies will need rather than sort of it's a nice to have i mean i don't know if they talk to you about that sort of stuff because i presume something like cloud computing is now i would have thought that's at the stage where you have to have that do you think or, or still well not? increasingly i mean there's a really good analogy is, is the um sort of accounting and payroll is kind of a real fundamental of any business everyone needs to get paid everyone has to do their, their number crunching and and for years and years and years there have been companies that have dominated this on a sort of a license model so a license model will typically be three years and you pay it all up front um that's been eaten away now by um, digital native companies that are working on what's called software as a service, which is effectively the s- subscription basis. So you pay a monthly fee and you can pay for what you use. So that allows for companies to expand, but also to contract when times are good and times are, are not so good. Um, if you pay a license up front, that cash is gone. That also means it's got to be a capex spend. So you'll, you'll have to spend quite a lot of money up front. So it's a bit like a consumer buying a car. You go and buy a car and that's you've got to tap yourself savings or you've got to take a financing package as we're starting to see there is an emerging trend of car rental where you will pay a subscription fee per monthly and then you might pay a a mileage charge as well but then you don't have any of the hassle of actually owning the physical car so it's a different different dynamic and often businesses like to um, pay for stuff out of their, their monthly cash flow rather than having to put this big lump sum up front. Um, and, so, and so one thing I did have also noticed is that when when you sort of read about tech investing, it's um, it's quite often refers to companies that a lot of people wouldn't normally associate as being technology companies. Like Disney is a good example, isn't it? Because they've got now the the, the Disney Plus streaming service. Um, I presume tech fund managers are looking at this business now as, as a potential yeah. something in that they could put in their portfolio. I mean, it's not a traditional tech business at all. Um, you think about Disney, you talk about sort of films, um, theme parks and, and merchandise effectively. And it's been fairly disparate, those parts of the business. But what they're doing, what they've always done is own their own data. So um, they can now compute that data, analyse it, and they can start to connect the dots so they can start seeing the customer's journey. What is your engagement in terms of watching a film, going to a theme park, buy merchandise and now with their streaming service again relies very much on cloud computing they can push out to a much wider audience there are lots of people in the world who are never going to go to a disney theme park and not necessarily going to go to the cinema to watch blockbuster films but will pay 6.99 for a a streaming service and when you've got brands like the marvel franchise you've got the star wars franchise you've obviously got the the disney um, animation franchises i mean that's content is key right i mean that's a really powerful tool. Now, some people have talked about um, how much of a threat there might be to something like Netflix, which dominate the streaming, uh, streaming TV market, as, as, as we all know. But the, 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 it seems to me, and it seems apparent to most fund managers, that there is room in the, in the world for more than one subscription. I mean, I've got a Netflix subscription. I also have an Amazon Prime subscription. Um, I might have thought initially, well, I'll, I'll take one and drop the other one. But in reality, I don't get around to doing that, and, and probably most of us won't. And if you think about an average family, you might have some young children who might really like the Disney animation stuff, some, some uh, teenagers who might prefer some stuff on uh, Netflix or might like the Marvel franchises, plus the adults who might like a mixture. So the idea of having two or three different subscriptions when they're relatively cheap, you know, seven, eight quid a month, um, it's, it's a pretty easy decision to have two or three options for all that entertainment value. So if you think back to the start of the last decade, we were all spending our money very differently on different things. So new government data now shows just how different our lives have become. 
So, Laura, you've been looking at this, haven't you? What have you found? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So it's the data that the government uses to calculate inflation. So they have this kind of basket of goods, they call it, and they will take put stuff into it and take stuff out as and when trends change. Um, and they've kind of published the big changes that happened over the past decade. And it's so interesting, particularly with tech stuff, like Steve was just talking about, the consumer side of tech stuff, um, the differences. So in, in 2010, they got rid of disposable cameras. Can you remember the last time you used a disposable camera? Well, yeah, you sort of see them occasionally when you go to a wedding and there's, there's things. But, yeah. But weirdly, I got, for, my kids for Christmas got Polaroid camera and I had oh, to explain to them. I said, like I said, before you do anything, you understand this is not like your a phone. It would go click, 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 click. I said, you've got these pieces of film. They're actually quite expensive. Yeah, and once they're gone, it's like, that's it, you can't reuse them. And they're like, God, and they really did have to sort of get their heads around it. That's so interesting. Um, But, you know, it's, yeah, so, I mean, Polaroid cameras do seem to be coming back, whether it's a fad or not, I don't know, but... It's a hipster trendy thing. Yeah. Your kids are obviously trending. <laughs> so anyway, they got rid of disposable cameras in 2010 due to the rise of digital cameras. Mm. So not even due to the rise of smartphones. Um, and so smartphones were added for the first time in 2010, which feels quite late to me. Mm. And mobile apps as well, because more people were paying, whether it's just 99p or whatever, for mobile apps. Um, then tablet computers, so like iPads and things like that, were added in 2012. An interesting one, I thought, 2015, so fresh pizzas became more popular and frozen pizzas were out. Wow. So this is like chilled, so from the chilled cabinet yeah. rather than you, someone not you know, going to a deli counter and waiting for a, a man to yeah, yeah, no. throw some dough in the air or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you shop. <laughs> um, 2015, sat-navs were also ditched because everyone was just using their smartphone and Google Maps. Um and then in 2016, coffee pods were added, so that go into things like Nespresso machines or other coffee machines. Wow. Um, and in 2017, gin was added because that was when the big gin trend started. See that, again, you're saying it's like it seems that doesn't that seems like it's been around for ages. Yeah, and but years actually, and years. 2017. Okay. Um, and that was also the year that non-dairy milk was added for the first time. So things like oat milk and soya milk because of the rise in veganism. Um, and then in 2018, smart speakers were added. And I thought this one was quite weird. Prices for soft play were added. So children's soft play centres. What? That's... The entry costs for them were added in 2018. So they obviously became a much bigger thing then. That's, oh, that does surprise me. Yeah, I know. And so I presume that you still got Terry's Chocolate Orange and VHS tapes and stuff. They're all still in there, aren't they? Yeah, so interestingly, actually, they also <laughs> published info. So how many households do you think still own a DVD or a Blu-ray player across the UK? Well, that's a good I'd say quite high. It's always quite a high percentage, 60 70%. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, well, well, I know that if you go to a charity shop, you can get amazing bargains on DVDs, which would suggest collections are being reduced in the household but i would have thought love how scientific you're going yes <laughs> i but i still think people got the players though it's not like they're getting rid we of did them they don't use them they often sit yeah. in the front room for see ages, i don't have don't one anymore and i got rid of all my dvds you're too modern it's often said of me is that when you joined the amateur dramatic society instead <laughs> <laughs> to, to create your own in, create my in, own entertainment immersive <laughs> experience <laughs> plug so, into youtube now <laughs> so the answer is 57 percent it was higher than I thought, but I think I'm coming yeah. from a point where I don't have one, so I thought it would be lower. So I was quite quite on the ball then, my 67%. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about smart speakers? How many households do you think have smart oh, speakers? Still quite low, I would have thought. So these are this is your Alexa. So like Alexa or yeah. Google Home stuff. Twenty-two. Well, yeah, I'd go for five. Five percent. Steve, you're on fire. It's twenty percent. There you go. There wow, you go. that is. Cool. And what about e-readers? So like Kindles, basically. I'm sure there's other brands available. <laughs> I think quite high again. Forty percent. Fifty-five. Yeah, I was surprised by this. It's only twenty-five percent. Really. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like that's something that's actually spanned quite a few generations now. So I was surprised it wasn't higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder what what your so what's your predictions for adding this year? Then what what will what will we see? Um, what's the new trend in alcohol? I feel like alcohol goes in and out of trends. Gin's days surely got to be numbered. There's going to be something. The craft beer thing surely has to get booted out, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah that's true. Espresso martinis. I don't oh, know. Yes. <laughs> We should come up with our own personal basket of goods. That would definitely be in mine. <laughs> and so then finally, this time last year, Dan, I'm sure you'll have forgotten about this, but we set our financial resolutions for the year. No, I do And remember. I said at the time that I was going to hold you to account. <laughs> and I'm back here 12 months later. So Tom Selby was our guest last year. And I've decided that he doesn't get away with it just because he's not here. So I checked in with him. He had two resolutions. And he says he's broadly achieved them. So one of them was to set up an investment account with his partner, which he says he's done. Um, And the other one was to spend less on lunch, which he says he thinks he's done, but says it's quite hard to measure. Um, So, Dan, yours was building up a larger emergency cash pot. I I am very pleased to announce. Oh, you look so smug right now. I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was on my mind all the year. And I do do remember the episode when we recorded that. And, yes, I've made an effort and it has gone up by two pence or... A bit more, yeah, yeah. No, no, so I, have, I have, I have, I've thought about that one a lot. So, how about what was your one? Mine was to consolidate all my pension pots um, into my SIP, which I would say I'm like 75% of the way there. I've moved two over. I've still got one more to go that I can't quite track down, and lost some enthusiasm to do oh it part way through. So I probably need to finish that off this year. And what? what so, what's your New Year's resolution? Oh, good question. Oh, one other one that I did last year that wasn't even my intention, but on that same episode, we talked about cashback sites and I've used them way more this year. And I, I, I mean, it hasn't made me loads of money, but I think I probably made about 200 quid. On That's them, good. Which is better than nothing. Yeah. Um, but my one for this year, what would that be? Oh, I want to set up regular investing on my investment account so <coughs> that I'm not quite so sporadic. Yeah. So that I have a monthly amount going in each month. Um, and I want to switch my current account. As we know, I have a bank account with almost every provider, but I've got a current account that I have had for ages and it's not really doing much for me. And you can get quite a lot of money from switching now, so I'm going to do that. Get free piggy banks somewhere, I'm sure. If you <laughs> think you can get more than that. You can get £100 if you switch. That's, that's going back to uh, the 1980s with Barclays, isn't it? Because <laughs> you have the whole family. <laughs> What's your resolution for this year, then? Your I, financial one? I've got two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one is to overpay my mortgage about two or three years ago I did call up my mortgage provider and ask them how you do it um, and I wrote it down on a bit of paper which still sits in my bag but I, it's crumpled <laughs> to the extent I cannot read it um, just it's this is really lazy isn't it I'm a financial journalist but yeah I don't know how to overpay my mortgage <laughs> um, so I'm going to go and call them back up and ask them how to do that um, the other one is my daughter is started at secondary school and one of the first things that the school gave us, not not the curriculum, was this list of 
future expenses to do with educational trips and stuff. And it was quite um, an eye-opener. So I've decided I'm going to be very proactive and start saving well in advance for oh, this. So, but I, I'd, I'd just been shoving some money in the back of a drawer and I figure I need to do this a bit better. So I might actually open a new bank account specifically for that. So we'll see. Good might be worth embracing yeah. one of the, um, the new startup online banks. I, um, I'm not sure Dan's quite ready for that. I, I, I don't know. I, so I think he's, he's, he's quite tech savvy when he gets when he gets yeah, down. Yeah, I'm, I'm more modern than you think. But when yeah. a friend of mine opened one, and this might be useful to Tom Selby actually, um, he said it, it was really good at tracking. You use the, the card that they give you, and you use that to pay for your lunches and, and bus fares and whatever. And then of course it will give you a breakdown, so you can track things like am I spending more or less on lunch over a period of time. So some of these, you know, Starling or, or one of those kind of banks might be useful. Yeah. yeah. What, what about you then, Steve? Have you thought of any? Well, I, I considered a couple of options, and, and one, the first one was to get rid of the massive bucket of copper coins in my kitchen, which has been well, there for years and years. One, yeah, and I keep meaning to go to one of these supermarket change places and machines and, and lob it all in because there must be a good fifty, sixty quid in there. But um, I decided no, that's that's not ambitious enough. So then I thought, well, I can declutter my house a little bit and sell some stuff on on eBay or, or Spock or something on these kind of sites. Uh, a couple of friends do this but then I realised that actually all the clutter in my house is not my own but my, my missus so uh, I figured that she'd probably take umbrage at me just flogging those of her gear well maybe she wouldn't notice um, it'd be an interesting question to, yeah, <laughs> Good to experiment. experiment yeah but a p- painful one if, if it goes the wrong way so what I decided was that I have a, a cash ISA and it just sits there and does bugger all and of course I'm earning precious little interest on it if, if anything so my resolution this year is to make that money work harder for me so I'm, I'm probably going to be a bit more um, um, sharp at just, just putting that into a, an investment ISA and, and, and put it into the market so I can get some more, more bang for my buck hopefully good plan very good thanks very much for listening this week if you've got any suggestions about what you would like us to cover in 2020 then please email us on podcast at ajbell.co.uk Remember, you can listen to us on the move using Spotify, the iPhone podcast app or Podbean and just search for Money and Markets. And please do leave us a review. We love to know what you think of the podcast. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye. Cheerio. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.